0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Well, thank you, Paul. It's a delight for us to be here with you uh, today. I've heard about City Beautiful through Paul and other, other ways. I've heard glimpses of it of what God is doing in your midst, so to be able to come and actually experience that with you uh, this weekend is a delight. Um, so Paul mentioned that I work with crew, and in our ministry I end up traveling a reasonable amount, and so I find myself in different places at different times. A few years ago, Nancy, my wife, who's here with me in the second row there, uh, we were back in, yeah, that's right. <laughs> We were back in Nebraska, which is our homeland, and which is where she grew up on a farm. Now, you may be thinking, Nebraska, has civilization actually made it to Nebraska? And the answer is yes. They do have things like the internet, they just don't have it at Nancy's farm. And so we're at Nancy's farm for a little bit of an extended time doing some ministry in the area. And, and so um, I went into the local town about 12 miles away, uh, and they do have coffee shops in Nebraska, by the way. So if you're ever traveling through, you can find coffee. So I was in one of these little, nice little coffee shops and, uh, and working day after day for the period of time that we were there. Well, since I've been in there a number of times, the uh, the barista who was just a, a classic uh, barista, you'd expect to find in a coffee shop, a uh, Man in his you know late twenties, kind of stocky a long blonde ponytail yeah he just fit the part perfect, and so he he was working well in the afternoons in a coffee shop in a rural area of nebraska it's not a it's not a, a hopping place, let's say it. you know there's not a lot of action there, so it's really just him and I, and maybe an occasional customer would come and go, and uh so he began to notice me there day after day. That's probably a little unusual in his coffee shop. And and working with all my papers, computer and things out. And so we began to engage and start conversation. And he asked me what I did and all. And I I told him about my work and in a way that would be, you know, welcoming or inviting to him. But he, he made this comment to me. He said, well, he said, I talk about anything except politics and religion. At which point I said, well, Corey, I said that, I said, I appreciate that. I said, but I'll tell you what, sometime, sometime I would love to hear your story. And he, he kind of stopped. He, oh, okay. He grabbed a chair. He spun it around backwards, pulled it underneath, sat down. And he said, okay, let's go. Since there wasn't many people around, we began to engage in that conversation. I started exploring his story, asking his questions back about his background and all. And so as I turned to the spiritual, I asked him if he had any kind of church or religious background. And, and he shared with me he had two experiences. He was classically unchurched, had no church background, except for two experiences. One where an uncle and some relation took him to a church to... Um, to go to a, I believe it was a Sunday school program or a children's program of some sort, but he found it so boring that he would try to sneak through and out and get into the back and go down by the trees where he could just hang out the whole time while it was on and maybe not be noticed. So that was number one. Number two was his parents found out and and for some reason, I'm not sure the family dynamic, but they did not appreciate the uncle taking him to a religious, Event. And in fact, they got into a fight over it, turned into fisticuffs on his front yard, and that was the last time he'd ever gone to church. So think of this for a moment. He's he's his only two experiences with Christianity with the church are both negative in that sense. One is it's boring, and the other is it's a source of conflict within his family. And so as he described his spiritual experience, he would, he would describe himself as, as drinking from kind of the well of Nordic mythology. In other words, he was really into kind of a paganism that, not just uh, paganism, but philosophy and, and, and all in drinking. Well, from that point on, as I'd come in day by day, and Cory was always working in the afternoons, we, we only talked about one thing, and it wasn't politics. <laughs> From that point on, all we ever talked about was spiritual matters and God and religion and all. And so as we were visiting, eventually I said to him, I said, well, Corey, I said, I'm not going to be here a real long time, but sometime before we leave, I would love to get together, not while you're working, because I know you get paid for this, but some other time, get together with you and, uh, and just show you what the, kind of the Bible storyline, the essence of the Bible story Uh, Would you be up for doing that sometime? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to. So we made arrangements, got together after, um, got together after work one day. Actually, he wasn't, didn't even work that day. He came in special just to meet me uh, late in the afternoon. But as we, as we talked and I walked him through, he was, he was definitely engaged. We had a great conversation. He was not at the threshold of faith. He has a long way to go in his spiritual journey to get there, but it was a positive, engaging conversation about the Gospel. Well we traveled on, uh, eventually made back home here, went back at Thanksgiving time to spend Thanksgiving with his parents, with Nancy's parents. And so. So while we were there in Thanksgiving, I thought, well, I'll just call and just see if, how Corey's doing. So I called up and, and found him. I said, Corey, this is Keith Davy. I don't know if you remember me. I was a fellow last summer. Oh yeah, I remember. And uh, you remember some of our conversations. Uh, I was just curious, you know, if, if you remember what we talked about. He said, and he said this to me, he said, I think about it every day. Now, isn't that interesting? Somebody who's whose guard is up, who doesn't want to engage in spiritual matters because his only experiences are, or have been negative experiences. And so he's in kind of a protective mode. And yet when you engaged with him, you know, in a genuine caring way that put the emphasis on who he was, his story and all, that it opened him up to where we can engage in a really positive, constructive conversation a short time. Well, I share that story to begin with to illustrate three foundational principles. And here are three things. You're going to hear them now. You'll hear them again at the end. But I want to make sure you catch these. Okay. The first one is this. Every person is on a spiritual journey. True or false? True. How do you know it's True on the board because <laughs> I told you it was true. <laughs> now you know it's true because God created every person a spiritual being. And so they don't have a choice. They're already on a spiritual journey. We don't put it, we don't start their spiritual journeys for them. They're already on one. Now they may be moving toward God. They may be moving away from God. They may be chasing other gods that aren't God at all. <laughs> they may be stuck in a spiritual quagmire and not moving. But they're on a spiritual journey because God has made them a spiritual being. Second one is that God is already at work. He's always at work. And so even like in Corey's life and journey, God's at work. And so he wants to use us. Not in everyone, all the time, any place, but often in many lives, at certain times, he wants to use us. And that's the great privilege, is for us to come in and become part of what God's doing in somebody else's life. But how do we translate our love into action, into the world today, into the conversations that we have with others? That's an important question, is how do you translate God's love into the world today? today. And if you're uncertain on how to do this, what'll happen is you'll take the path of least resistance and withdraw. Why? Well, because we're all busy, right? To start with. We have other things to do and so it takes intentionality to engage in other people's lives. But more than that, there's that fear factor that happens inside each one of us. We all have it. Even the Apostle Paul said he had it. That fear of what? Of fe- offending somebody else? A fear of doing relational damage? A fear of getting in over our heads where we don't really know what to do or what to say? Of Maybe failing in the conversation? And, and so because of our busyness, because of our fear, it's just easier to disengage and not, not to go there. Not to translate God's love into the life of somebody else conversationally. But if we don't, we miss one of the greatest privileges that Christians can ever experience, that Christ followers can experience. And that is being part of what God's doing in the life and the spiritual journey of somebody else. That's the adventure. And so this morning, let's the adventure begin. This is what we're talking about, is how do we enter into the lives, the journeys of others in a way that, we experience what God is doing in their journey and become a part, a co-worker as Paul would say, with him. Now, to do that, we need a guide. And this morning our guide is going to be the Apostle Paul. And and, uh, we're going to look at a passage in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. We'll have it up here on the screen. But it's the passage that I would say really helps give us a guide for how to do what this series you're on, Love and Translation, is all about. So here's the passage. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, we're going to walk back through that passage and take it kind of chunk by chunk or verse by verse And I would suggest that there's really three main ideas that Paul gives us that will kind of guide us as we engage in the journeys of others. First is he talks about how we should pray. Then in verse five, he talks about how we relate to people. And then finally in verse six, he talks about how we, what we speak or how we speak with people. And so we're gonna let the apostle Paul kind of guide us through this, okay? So we'll start with the first, how we pray. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 starts, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Okay, think for a moment, what does that word devote suggest to you? You think about being devoted to something, what does that mean? Pardon? Spend time, Uh uh-huh. Anything else come to mind? Persistent. Good. Spending time. Persistent. Commitment. Excellent. Pardon? Dedicated. Yes. Now think about even those four words you've heard. That they tend to be an attitude and an action. Devotion is being committed or being, uh, giving attention to. But over time, consistently. It's not a one-time thing. You aren't devoted to something if it's just a, a momentary experience. It's, it's a lifestyle of commitment, of attention, giving attention to you. And so Paul's saying here, for us to be devoted, that is, to give ourselves with intense effort to prayer. Give yourself with intense effort to prayer. Uh, English Standard Version, by the way, translates this, continue steadfastly, continue steadfastly in prayer. But he noticed, he says two things about this prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watchful means being on the alert. That means you're paying attention. You're, you're watching for what God is at work doing, or what's happening in the lives of people that you are praying for, or praying about, or even paying attention to what the enemy is doing to try to destroy, or distract, or, or lead astray others. You're watchful, you're on alert, you're on guard. But you're also thankful. Now if you're giving thanks, you're giving thanks to someone, right? And in prayer you're giving thanks to God. So obviously the primary thing as you're watching is you're paying attention to what God is doing or wants to do in a situation and thanking Him for that. If we take on that attitude of prayer, it sets the stage for engaging in the lives of others. That we're praying first to God about people and what He's doing in their lives before we engage with people to talk about God. That prayer sets the stage for it. But but it's not just the praying for people. It's praying, uh, it's specifically praying about uh, two specific things, Paul says. So we'll go to Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 in the next slide over for a moment. Pray for us too that God may do what? Open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul says, to, as you devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, he says also, he said, pray for us, pray for me and the others in my ministry, that God would do two things, open the door for the message and would enable us to proclaim it clearly as we should. Now, I'd suggest those, though Paul said pray for us those things, I'd suggest you make those prayers for yourself as well. As you think about the people in your lives and engage in there, that you pray for open doors, for God to open up the doors to have significant connections and conversations, and for Him to give you the words and the message to engage appropriately. I mentioned that I get to travel a fair amount, and so that puts me on planes a fair amount. Now. As I tell this story about being on a plane, here's what I want you to understand in context is, I don't talk to every passenger on every flight that I'm ever on, okay? Let's just put that to rest. The fact is, in this day and age, it's a lot less than it used to be. It used to be, all you had is either talk or they'd read a book. Now, they, now well, it's, it's iPad days, it's movies downloaded, it's music, headphones. And so it becomes a lot more rare to actually engage in a good conversation on a flight. But it still happens, eh, maybe about one out of five or one out of four or something. I don't know what it is. But, but in this particular flight, I sat beside uh, a 26-year-old student from the University of Texas Dallas by the name of Michael. He was conversational and uh, often when I first sit down with somebody I, I'll, I'll say something to him just to see how conversational they are, if they're going to be open to talk or not. And, it, and usually it's just simply, are you going home or away from home? And, uh, and depending on where that leads us, that'll kind of determine where the conversation goes. Well, with Michael, he was conversational, he was open and we began to visit, found out he was a student, he found out what I did and all. And so because of that, I began to ask him some exploring questions to learn more about his story and all. And I asked him about his background, his church background and religious background. And he told me that he had grown up, his early days or his childhood was as a Roman Catholic. But he, he had quick, had soon left that in his adolescence and became an atheist. Until in these latter days, remember, I told you he's 26. In these latter days, he's actually becoming more spiritually inclined again. But he was only doing that through pop culture, through kind of whatever he was getting from the media and all. And so uh, in the midst of the conversation, I asked him, I said, well, I said, I'm curious, Michael, uh, have you ever experienced God in your life? In any sense, any circumstance, would you say you've ever experienced God? And he says, he says, no, but, but I have experienced Satan. Well, okay, let's, tell me about it. So he shared the incident, the situation where he perceived the presence of the, uh, the devil in, in his journey. Well, as he we talked about it, I asked him the same kind of thing I, I asked Corey. I said, well, Michael, I said, has anyone ever had the opportunity just to share with you in a very clear, brief way kind of the essence of the Bible's message, kind of its storyline, And he, he said, no. And I said, could I do that for you? And he said, sure. So in this particular time, I, I, I had my Bible in my briefcase. And so I pulled it out. And just from using just a series of passages from the beginning to the end, I kind of walked him through the gospel story of Jesus. But from beginning, Genesis, all the way to the end, I just kind of did a quick little overview with him. And I got to the end of it, and I said to him, "I said, well, Michael, I said, uh, there's one, there's something you have to decide for yourself, and that is what what I just shared with you is that true? Is what I just shared with you true?" And he said, "Oh, he said, I know it's true. He said, in fact, when you first started reading from the Bible, I knew it was true. I've always had these questions, but I'd never known who to ask them to, and." He said, so, he said, I, I know this is the truth. And so as we continued to talk, unlike Corey, I found that Michael really was at the threshold of faith. He was ready to make a decision. And so this doesn't happen on most flights. And when I have conversations, it doesn't happen on most of those conversations. But at this case, God was at work in a special way in Michael's life. And so we ended up praying together on the, on the flight and he placed his faith in Christ. Well, as the conversation kind of came toward a close, he asked me, he said, I'm curious. He says, do you have these conversations often? <laughs> and I said, well, I said, actually, I said, it kind of depends, Michael. But, but yeah, it's fairly common that I get to talk to people about their relationship with God. And, he, and I said, in fact, I said, my, my wife, and at this point still had kids at home. I said, my wife and kids they will pray for me when I fly. And they will pray for whoever I sit next to, that if God's at work, that I'd have the opportunity to connect with them. And he just kind of took that in and didn't say much about it. And we finished up the flight. And as we, as we got up and started to deplane, he's in front of me, because he had the aisle seat, I had the middle. So he gets up first, he starts walking down the aisle. I'm right behind him. And he stops and he turns around and looks at me. And he says, hey, tell your wife and kids Thanks for praying for me. See, that's power of prayer. It's what God is doing. It's not about me. It's about what God is doing and doing in answer to prayer. But we become part of that as we pray, as we join him in prayer. Because sharing our faith, sharing the gospel, being involved in evangelism is first and foremost a work of God. It's not our work. It's what God is doing and we become a part of that. Well, so how do we become a part of that? Paul gives us kind of the next key within it. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. The way we, way we act or the way we relate with others is to do so wisely. But let's take this in reverse order. Let's take that second phrase for a moment. It says, make the most of every opportunity. Now, old translations of the Bible, the English Bible, would say, redeeming the time. English Standard Version says, uh, making the most of the time. But the time is not, it's not a matter of time management. It's a matter of opportunity. So this is New International. In the original language of Greek, there's two words that are used for time. One is chronos, and that's what we measure on the watch. Seconds, minutes, hours, days. Chronos is time in a linear fashion. It's what's on the screen back to let me know where am I at in this message? How much longer will this go? Right? Chronos. But that's not really what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about kairos. Kairos is about the opportunity. And making the most of each situation, each moment in time. So the question becomes, if we're talking about how we act toward outsiders making the most of every opportunity, well how many opportunities do we have? Well I would suggest our lives are full of opportunities. And I'll demonstrate it two ways. First is, how many people do you know? Well, you probably don't know how many people you know, and I don't know how many people you know, but I know how many people the average American knows because Columbia University professors decided to do a research experiment to determine what's the average person know. And they ran through a whole process with algorithms and and methodology, and they've determined that the average American knows by name about 600 people. Now, that's a lot of people. Now, I've tested myself because I'm in a people-oriented work. I actually am not average, I'm well beyond that. You may think of yourself as short of that, but the point is, you know a lot of people by name if you start playing out names and how many people you know who have each name there's a lot of people. Well, every one is an opportunity, not in the sense that God is at work wanting to use you right now in everybody's life. But if you're praying and you're alert, you're paying attention to whatever that number for you is, 400, 600, 800, there's a lot of possibility of God at work there. And more than that, some marketers because they're always driven for market and they're um, trying to maximize their product, et cetera, they did, a, they did some research and study and they suggest that the average city dweller in the US, their life will touch, will intersect, will touch about 80,000 people in a lifetime. Now that could be just the person working behind a cash register in a store or waiting at a table or could be the neighbor, it could be the, per, the people at work, it could be a lot of different things. The point is, our lives intersect and touch lots and lots of people. And so we want to make the most of those opportunities. Now, how do you do that? How do you make the most of those opportunities? Well, wisely, you want to do it with wisdom. God gives us wisdom. He he says it's a gift from him, but wisdom is never in a vacuum. It's always related to knowledge and understanding. And in this case, what would it be knowledge and understanding of? The other person, their story. So I would suggest for you this, that you want to take on the role of an explorer. An explorer is somebody who goes what? Into unknown territory to to discover, to learn, to understand. People's spiritual lives, their journeys, their stories are unknown to us. We don't know. Even people we know well, there's lots about their spiritual journeys we don't know. And so we need to become an explorer to go into that unknown territory to learn to discover and understand. Say, well, how do I do that? Well, there's tools. There's tools of the trade. But for an explorer, the tools of the trade are simply listening and asking good questions if you can listen and ask good questions, you can be an effective explorer, which means that anybody can do it. In fact, any monkey can do it, right? Well, maybe not. I don't know if monkeys can do it or not, but any person can do it. So, if you can carry on a conversation, you can actually be an effective explorer discovering other people's uh, spiritual journeys. So, let me kind of give you a test here, or tell you a story and let you discover with me. Robert. What do you know about Robert? You know his name. He's Robert. What else do you know about Robert? He's a guy. Excellent. What else do you know about Robert? Probably. probably. You don't know that though. So you said probably. This you know. He's on a spiritual journey, right? So let me give you a clue. He's from France. So if he's from France, what would you guess about his spiritual journey? Probably unchurched. Uh Uh-huh. Anything else? Well, I'll give you another clue. He would say he's a humanist, a French humanist. Okay, now humanism is that philosophy that, that puts what at the center? Man at the center, right? So man at the center, French man, probably spiritually near or spiritually distant. Does a philosophy like that bring you close to the gospel or distant from the gospel? Probably distant, right? But Rob, Robert had gone into a bookstore here in the Orlando area, a English, a, yeah, an English bookstore, of course, in the Orlando area, <laughs> to, to buy an English Bible, okay? The one he picked up was actually, he didn't understand well enough. I'm guessing it was the King James because he said the language was very difficult and French is, English is his second language, so he didn't buy it. But what does that tell you? Something's happening in his life, right? He's on a spiritual journey. But you noticed how things changed as I just gave you one more clue with each? that at first didn't know anything and then thought, well, probably not very spiritually near. Well, oh, well, wait, wait, wait. God is at work. Something's happening in Robert's life. In fact, in Robert's case, the conversation with him went this way is that uh, I, when I found out that he had attempted to buy a Bible, I asked him, What well, has anybody ever showed you just kind of the, the essence of the Bible's story and could I do that? And he said, sure. And so. In uh, this case, he used just a short little outline, was, and I was going to walk it through with him. And he said, oh, he said, here, let me read it myself, because English is my second language. It'll be easier if I do it myself. And so he read it himself when he got done. He said, okay, I'm done. And, and, I, and I said similar thing as I said to, uh, to Michael. I said, Robert, I said, you know, one of the things you have to decide for yourself is, is this true? And he said this, he said, I don't know if it's true or not, but I hope my children decide it is. And I said, wow, why would you say that? And he said, because I know if they live their life according to this, they'll have a better life than if they don't. Isn't that interesting, a man who doesn't know if it's true, in fact, his philosophy would tend to suggest not, and yet he recognizes the value in the gospel story goes on from there. But I'm going to move on in time because all I wanted to illustrate for you is how do you discover people's spiritual journeys? By listening and asking good questions. And you learn their stories. And it's in their stories that you you find kind of the map that will guide the rest of the conversation. And how you will be wise. So, so... The other thing about as you engage in people's stories, you know what? If you're asking questions, you're becoming more like your master. You know how many questions Jesus asked others? None of us know because we weren't there. (laughs) Nobody counted. But we know this, that in the Gospels, he asks 135 or more different questions. And when you think of how many chapters we have in the Gospels, that's more than One, close to two per chapter, even. Jesus was a question asker, and we need to be like him. Well, finally, verse four, Paul says in Colossians chapter four, verse six, excuse me, I said verse four, chapter four, verse six, how do we speak? He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone take the, our conversation is to be full of grace, but let's take that second phrase for a moment, that we would know how to answer everyone. What Paul's not suggesting here is that we don't talk until somebody asks us a question. It's not just simply be ready to answer questions. No, he's actually talking about being other-centered audience-centered, knowing how to deal with and answer each individual according to who they are and their story and what's happening in their life and, and their importance. And that's why it's important for us to start as an explorer discovering their story. By the way, every person's story, every person's life is a story and every story is worth being told. And when it's told, no one can escape being interesting if you're interested in them. If you take a genuine interest in another person in their life and their story, you'll discover everybody's life is a story that's interesting. It has fascinating twists and turns and, and dimensions. And so that's why we become others centered within that but Paul says, we start with them. We know how to answer them. But, but in doing that, we do it full of grace. Okay, full of grace. So what does gracious speech look like? Well, let me give you just a couple of suggestions about uh, what gracious speech. He, he doesn't say full of truth, though he could say that. We're, we're to c- communicate our message clearly. He says full of grace. So two suggestions here. The first one is this, is, is always ask permission in the midst of these conversations. You'll notice, did you hear that with me, with Corey, with, with uh, who was next, Michael, with, with Robert? It's always asking permission. Why? Because you're not forcing your way into the conversation. You're going where they give you permission to go you're just gently knocking on the door by, hey, I'm wondering, could, has anyone ever done this? Could I do that? Could I? Sh-? If you've explored somebody else's story, you found out about their background, you know what'll happen normally? They'll start to ask you questions about yourself, which is great because then you can begin to relate your story and where God connects up in your journey, how Christ has made a difference for you. But if they don't ask, after visiting about them, you can always just ask permission and say, hey, can I share a little bit of my story with you? And they will almost always say, yeah, sure, go ahead. But when you do that, share just a little bit of your story. Okay, they don't, they're not giving you permission for the 10-minute exposition of your life or 15 minutes, don't, don't get carried away, just a little bit. And share where God, where Christ is making a difference in your life as it relates to what you've been talking to them about. It could be how you came to faith in Christ, but it could be about how Christ is making a difference with your anxiety right now, or with your finances, or some other dimension of your life where you make those connections to them, a little bit of your story. And you can ask permission, can I share with you what's really helped me? And you relate what's helped you. Now that can be just a simple presentation of what it means to know Christ in a personal way. because. That may be what they need to hear in their journey at this time. It may be just how Christ is helping you in a different place in your life. But that'll begin to foster the conversation and foster the the engagement so that you are journeying with them, journeying together. Now, second suggestion is, if the time isn't right now, then ask sometime. Instead of trying to have that conversation now, have it later. But ask them for an opportunity to do that. Just simply say, hey, you know, sometime, that's what I said to Corey, sometime I would love to hear your story. Sometime I'd love to show you what's really helped me or sometime I'd love to see what you think about the Bible's story, the Bible's uh, storyline or it's message. You, when you put it in a, when you ask permission and you put it in sometime, you take all the pressure off the moment and you give them the freedom to say yes, or no. Now, we've known that that, that that simple practice of asking permission and helping and saying sometime, taking the pressure off the moment, makes a difference in people's conversations. But we needed some way to prove that to students on college campuses so that they'd really believe because what students fear is they're going to offend somebody. And so we actually created a test with small groups who would pray together because it always starts with prayer identify somebody they're praying for and then ask the sometime question and we tracked what happened and here's what we saw that over 90 percent of the time when somebody when they did ask a sometime they would respond positively to it they'd say sure i get together sometime especially when it was focused on their own story sometime i'd love to get together and hear your story they're like oh sure somebody cares enough about me to ask (laughs) i'd be glad to get together and talk And so then they'd set up conversations uh, over coffee or a meal or whatever it is. And when they'd have those conversations, three out of four, though they'd start other-centered about the other person's story, three out of four would end up being about Christ and the gospel and connections to spiritual, to the gospel connections within it. Because it was so natural when you start with the other person's life to see those kinds of connections. And as a result, we ask, how many of you, how many times we did it, did the conversation feel awkward or get negative or what? And they said, one out of 50. Now think about that. If you have hundred conversations, maybe two of them didn't really end the way you wished it would have ended. That's hardly ever. The thing that's feared most doesn't happen often if you genuinely care about the other person and start with them and their story and make the connections to their journey. So just ask sometime. Well, what do grace-filled conversations look like? They look like caring about the other person first. And their story, not just your message, not just what you want to tell them, but who they are, where they're at in their journey. It looks like creating a safe relational space where you can engage with them. And what you discover as you do that is it's like the compass that gives you the track to know how to go farther in the conversation and the relationship with them. And that's what you're going to be looking at more as you continue in this Love and Translation uh, series. But for this morning... Here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember the three things Paul says to do. It begins with what? How we pray. How we relate to people. How we pray, uh, devoted to prayer. How we relate. We relate with with um, uh, wisely, and how we speak with grace, graciously. And. As we started with Corey, the reason that we do this is because of what's always at true, these three things. Remember what we started with? Everybody's on a spiritual journey already. We're just entering into the journey that they have. We don't start that for them. We just enter into that with them. God's already at work. He's always at work. And so we're wanting to see and discover where God's at work, but he wants to use us. And using us just puts us into that adventure of becoming part of his work in another person's journey. So let me pray for you. Father, we do pray that you would teach us, each one of us more, how we can live out this kind of a lifestyle where we we genuinely are lying to you and what you're doing in prayer. We're wise in how we act toward outsiders. We're not offending people. We're not forcing ourselves where we shouldn't go, but we're making the most of every opportunity. And Lord, as we do so, help us to do so with grace in a way that, that creates safe relationships and conversational experiences, but where we begin to discover your spirit at work and how the gospel connects and what you do in our life can make a difference for others as well. Thank you, Lord. We love you and pray in Christ's name, amen.